Boy, was it ever an eventful yet terrifying day at the Bahrain Grand Prix where Roman Grosjean managed to escape a violent and fiery crash on a day where Lewis Hamilton picked up his 11th win of the season. This is ESPN's Formula One podcast and Nate and Lawrence are standing by as we'll recap that incident and more. But first, Roman Grosjean was thankfully able to give us all an update on how he's recovering from his Instagram account. Um, just wanted to say I'm okay. Uh, well, sort of okay. Thank you very much for all the messages. Uh, I mean, I wasn't for the halo some years ago, but I think it's the greatest thing that we brought to Formula One, and without it, I wouldn't be able to speak to you today. So, thanks, thanks to all the medical staff at the circuit, at the hospital, and uh, hopefully, I can write you quite soon some messages and tell you where it's going. Well, that right there is who we all needed to hear from after what has been an absolutely crazy day, a scary day at the Bahrain Grand Prix. Roman Grosjean with that nice little message to on his Instagram there, um, even cracking a joke, guys, saying that, you know, he's seen his messages, but obviously he won't be able to respond anytime soon, given the burns he sustained on his hands. But Really, that's, the, I suppose, the fitting end that we needed on, as I said, what's been just a horrendous day um, overall. What was, how did you guys, obviously tracking it and in all the years that you've been doing Formula One, we know that there have been scary instances as well, even more unfortunate instances. But it's been a while, I think, that we've been properly shaken like we were today. Yeah, I think that's the perfect way of putting it. I think for the first sort of 60, 90 seconds after that crash, it was really scary because we didn't see a replay and usually when that happens you're kind of worried about what that means you know it usually means either it's a very serious one or they're not sure if the driver's okay so when we got the message we got it into our whatsapp group on the media whatsapp group saying that you know Roman's okay he's out of the car I actually I, I didn't quite believe it to, to begin with then you see the replays and then I believed it even less that he got out okay and then you see him getting out and it was just it was just crazy because you know the forces involved in that crash the fact it split in two in fact, it caught fire. Everything about it. I don't. I just watched it again before we did this podcast, maybe for the twenty-fifth time, and it still just doesn't seem like a real thing that happened. So, real relief when obviously Roman got out of the car, and that is the main thing that he did. And the fact that he did, I think, is it's it's a really, it's just a really good story for Formula One in the sense of their safety push over the past couple of years because it's it's not been without controversy. It's not been without criticism, and a lot of people especially on the halo have been very outspoken about you know why they hate that the th- the reasons why it shouldn't have been on the car it ruined the dna it ruined the look of the cars and all this stuff and really that's complete nonsense and i think last year the charles leclerc and fernando alonso incident was one where we where we talked a lot about um you know the importance of that device um and yeah it, if it, again today you know i think everybody was was saying it you know the if if there was a debate about the halo it's over I don't think it, there should have been one anyway, but it, it just so clearly saved his life today. Um, so yeah, uh, just a just a great news story. I think that everybody looking at it now, it could have just been so much worse. So yeah, relieved that we're talking about it like this and not not talking about anything worse today on this podcast. I think it is quite telling too, because even in that Instagram post that um, we just had up, um, he did say that you know a couple of years back he wasn't exactly the biggest fan of the Halo, but now he knows without it, um, he probably wouldn't be here sitting and talking to us today so just an absolute um testament as we have said that you know what the FIA and all the work they're doing um constantly trying to make this sport safer and safer is actually paying off yeah it really is and it's remarkable that you know a car can 
crash. The speed they recorded was 137 miles per hour. That was the last speed that it logged before it went into the barriers. Uh, and just talk to Gunsteiner on a on a press conference. He's the Haas team principal. And he wouldn't give us the G-force reading because he said the one that they had, they can't quite believe is correct because it was so high. Uh, so they wanted to double check and try and come back with an accurate figure. But, you know, the fact that the G-force reading is either off the scale or, you know, kind of breaking the scale says a lot about how serious that accident was. Um, but, you know, as, as amazing as all the safety things were, uh, Alan van der Merwe said this, he's the uh, medical car driver, so one of the first people on the scenes. You know, if one of those things hadn't, played out or kind of worked out in, in Grosjean's favour, then it could have been worse still, even with everything we had there. So if you, you know, if you think about the angle that he went into the barriers and the way the barriers wrapped around the car, I mean, that should not have happened for starters. But had it been slightly different, you know, it, it still could have been an awful, awful situation. And of course, we're not used to seeing cars explode in balls of flames anymore when, when they have an accident. And, uh, and that's because of the safety work that the FI have done around the fuel cells and yet somehow a significant amount of fuel, although most of the engineers talking afterwards felt that it wasn't all the fuel, because if 105 kilos of fuel had gone up, it would have been an even bigger inferno. But at least, you know, a substantial amount of the fuel managed to get out of the um, fuel cell, perhaps when it was compressed or something like that came out. And uh, obviously there's, you know, more to look at there. So um, this is the amazing thing. And this is why the cars are so safe now is because every time F1 has an accident like this, uh, it doesn't just think, oh, well, aren't we great? We've, you know, we saved a driver. It looks at all the things that potentially could have gone wrong, uh, all, all the reasons why it was as scary as it was, and it looks to correct them again. So um, I, the only other thing to add about the accident really is that it was, you know, one in a kind of thousand, I would say, uh, incident, because that's not the way the track goes. You know, there was this bare armco barrier there, which looks quite scary when you look at it and you see the accident but it's so rare for a car to go off uh, there and really it was Grosjean's movement across the track um, which he probably shouldn't have done that led that led to the accident and, and, and led to it but just a reminder as well that when we see these cars going around at you know 150 200 miles per hour on a Sunday afternoon and sometimes it can all look quite boring and it can all look so under control can't it but a reminder that it, all it takes is one little mistake and you can have a very, very serious accident on your hands. The other, the other variable in there was it's amazing he didn't pass out in the in the accident because that would have been, that really would have been trouble because of how intense the fire was, like Lawrence said, and that in itself is just unbelievable because mm -hmm. that's what you would expect in that in that instance. So, yeah, just unbelievable that I, th I think when when the report into the Antoine Hubert crash came out last year, it was basically saying you know all of these. All this entire sequence of events had to happen for the outcome that we had and unfortunately that sequence of events happened mm -hmm. and today we had a very similar sequence of events but also you know in a way that somehow the driver got out alive which is just I'd love to know the odds of him getting out of that I think if you run that same instant you know over and over again with, with very similar variables I don't think we get the driver coming out of it so yeah just um just really baffling I was gonna say one other thing uh is is the bravery of the people attending to the, yeah. the accident? Yeah, you know? absolutely. Um, Doctor Ian Roberts, who rides in the medical car, does the first lap of every Grand Prix, then usually returns to the pits, and hopefully he doesn't have to head back out on track again. He was there right on the scene, and with an open-faced helmet, uh, was getting as close as he physically could to the fire uh, to help Grosjean out. Grosjean kind of got himself out 
immediately, but to help them get over the barrier as well. So, um, I mean, that kind of level of bravery and, uh, yeah, that level of, of, of quick thinking as well, because Alan van der Merwe was a, there immediately with a fire extinguisher, which he got from the medical car, and, you know, he made sure that Grosjean's overalls weren't on fire as he came out. So, yeah, that, 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 that level of um, thinking and that level of safety and, you know, all those procedures that are put in place for that kind of thing uh, really paid off today as well. So, like, I think, you know, we should, should give a very, very honourable mention uh, to those guys for, for the job they did today. Not all Massively, and it, yeah, <laughs> and it's a hugely thankless job. Usually, I've got to confess, like until I saw that replay, my brain didn't automatically think, "Oh, there's always a like the medical car always follows." Yeah. I just it just didn't. I, I obviously know it, but it just didn't register to me until I was like, "Oh, of course it does," because you never think about it. You never really have to. So we've become we've become quite fortunate in the level of safety we expect from F1 that we almost forget the safety measures that are there. So yeah, it's great. And as you guys said, I mean, the safety measures obviously have come a, a long way. And as um, everyone knows that there will be investigations after investigations into what this happened, as Lawrence says, it's not just like a pat yourself on the back. We we obviously helped save a life with the, you know, the new measures that have been brought into place over the years. But um, I guess, Lawrence, just for those that probably don't know what the next steps would kind of be and what a probable outcome or conversations or questions that could be asked after this, what, um, what are you expecting? Because I'm sure... At the end of this, people will be asking questions of how much more can be done. Yeah, well, the FIA will investigate it uh, fully. The car itself is still at the track. Um, and uh, as Gunter Steiner said on his, uh, on his press conference, they're not going to be using it again. So they're, they're more than happy to hand it over to the FIA to, you know, uh, take apart and, and figure out exactly, um, you know, what led to what. Uh, I mean, it's fairly clear that the accident was, you know, due to the contact between Kvyat and Grosjean. So we kind of knew what led led up to the accident. So I think there'll also be uh, a lot of uh, a lot of look around the fuel system to figure out why uh, what, what why that what happened there and whether there's anything that can be strengthened. But um, also a look at the interaction between the car and the armco barrier because that should not have happened. You, mm. know, you shouldn't see a survival cell of a car wedged uh, where it was in 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 the barrier, and it, it seems like the force of it getting wedged there and then the kind of inertia of the rear of the car is what split the car in two, which is maybe what, um, you know, exposed the, uh, the fuel tank as well. So yeah, th- there's an awful lot to, to kind of get, get the head around. And, and also they have these remarkable uh, crash tests that they have to go through ahead of every, every season. And they're really hard to pass, you know, teams do fail them and they have to rethink about the way uh, they've designed the front end of the car or the side impact of the car. So um, while those crash tests are basically designed around, you know, impacts from different angles, there's always new stuff to learn from those. So they'll look at the way that the nose deformed and uh, exactly what happened there to try and get an understanding of maybe how they can incorporate something else into the next crash test that helps. But then at the end of the day, you have this fact that cars are driving around, in this case, at 137 miles per hour, often a lot faster. And the nature of a racetrack is that you will have immovable objects in the way. And sadly, you know, the unpredictable nature of the way an accident can pan out, uh, there's always a chance that the car ends up hitting one. So that is, uh, that's the unavoidable thing in Formula One. But it doesn't mean that the FIA won't do everything they can to understand uh, exactly what happened with the car, just to try and make it safer going forward. And uh, we've seen that again and again. It happened after the Hubert accident. There were changes as well 
uh, to chassis um, regulations going forward. So uh, yeah, that, that's what they'll do again, and uh, and hopefully we we'll, we won't see another accident as scary as that again. But you know, these things unfortunately do happen in Formula One. Right, and as we said, that obviously led to quite a big um, delay in actually getting to the race. Eventually, we did get to the race, but um, just judging by some of the the reaction from it too, Nate, I know you said even you had your head pretty much down just working and writing and updating um, for most of the race itself. So what's been some of the reaction like from, like you said, other uh, fellow members of the Formula One community? I mean, most drivers... Uh kind of it was the first thing they referenced you know the the race kind of became an afterthought for a lot of them it was kind of the, the first thought was that great Roman got out of the car and talking about safety measures I mean um, Vettel said exactly what Lawrence just said that the, the barrier shouldn't have done that you know that there's no way the barrier should have um, broken apart like it did um, it's quite interesting Daniel Ricciardo was quite annoyed that mm-hmm. on the on the screens at the circuit the, the replays just kept playing over and over again and that was something that was coming from the F1 world feed itself and you know I think I mentioned that at the beginning when I started talking about it. I think as soon as the broadcasters, the directors realized that Grosjean was okay, the, the replay, I guess, became okay to show. Um, but you have to remember that these guys did then have to get back into the car after an hour. So I think that he definitely was rubbed the wrong way by, by that. I don't think he was very pleased with it. And he said he was actually going to talk to F1 about it, I think. So that'll be interesting to follow in the next couple of days. And it's really easy to, to forget that these guys have got to get back in the car after that and race again and I've always thought that's quite an amazing thing to do um, especially when you've seen something that violent take place in a car that you're driving at a circuit you're driving at that you've just got to get in and race as normal so I think a lot of them it, it shook them and I think you know we it, we're in an era of F1 where danger doesn't seem that close like it might have done in the 90s or the 80s or the 70s and I think I, 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 I do believe all the drivers when they say they know the risks of racing but I think sometimes they must just think well it won't be me you know, it won't be me that, that that happens to it. When it happens to somebody close to you on the grid, somebody who you race with all the time, I think it must really hit home that it can be them. And it, it all it takes is a freak accident like we saw today and, and anything could happen. So, yeah, you could tell that most of them were just pleased to kind of be getting through the day unscathed, I think. Yeah, I heard two um, quite interesting contrasting opinions on that in the post-race press conference. Uh, first one from Max Verstappen, um, and all the drivers were basically asked, um, you know, do you think the drivers should be given an option of whether this race goes ahead? And really, they all said, well, you know, we trust the FIA to make the right decisions and whether it's safe enough to race. But then Max said that if he was a team principal uh, and his driver turned around and said that he didn't want to race, he'd say, well, you're fired, um, which I thought was quite um, kind of quite Max in, in some ways. <laughs> But also, uh, you know, quite uh, interesting and revealing of, of, of the way he approaches it. Is that, you know, he absolutely was going to get back in no matter what. And then Lewis was asked a little bit later on, you know, do these accidents ever make you think, you know, well, there's a lot more to life than just Formula One racing. Do I really want to be doing this at, you know, 35 years old and carrying on? And, uh, and Lewis said that he would be lying if he said that he didn't occasionally think about that kind of thing and that he is aware of the dangers and that it does plan his mind. But then he also said at the end of that answer that, He's not about to retire. So I think it's very interesting, very personal to each of the drivers. But I don't think um, any one of us can kind of uh, criticise either attitude. You know, I think it's entirely down to them. None of us know what it's like to get back in a car after you've seen something like that and go and race around the same bit of racetrack. So uh, Max's point of view is entirely valid. But so is someone like Daniel Ricciardo. But then you have to say, well, if someone like Ricciardo is saying, I don't want to see 
all this yeah. stuff over and over again, um, then probably F1 maybe should act to make sure that they don't see it over and over again. Uh, because especially in somewhere like Bahrain, they actually have big TV screens above the uh, pit paddock area. So it's almost quite hard to avoid it. I mean, you could say you can go and lock in your room and all that kind of stuff and, and try and avoid it. But yeah, it, it was it was playing on, on repeat. So I think if they're saying that, we have to listen to that as well because it's you know it's a valid opinion and they're the ones that have got to go and drive, not, not us. So um, yeah, we'll be able to see what the reaction is to that, like, like Nick said. Tell you what, after seeing that, you would have to physically put me back into a car to race after that but I suppose that's what sets basically me apart from pretty much the the superheroes that they are going out there on the track so like we said a, a really scary day but of course it at least has ended with um, hearing from Roman Grosjean and hearing that he's okay and okay enough to even crack a little bit of a joke but um, definitely put a lot of things into perspective and as even Toto Wolf said it there's some things that are just bigger than racing but we did get to see some racing eventually Lewis Hamilton took all the spoils this time again his 11th win of the season ahead of Max Verstappen Alex Albon ending up on the podium there and we've been talking about luck and being unlucky and whatnot unlucky for Sergio Perez who was there looking like he was going to end up in that third spot on the podium except for some engine failure and again if you thought that the Roman Grosjean crash was the only I guess scary thing to look at just after that we got to see Lance Stroll as well involved in an unfortunate incident we'll get to that but guys what did you think of um the rest of the results um it it wasn't a classic race uh don't worry you didn't miss anything uh if if you two uh turned off after the Grosjean incident or it didn't stick with it through the the hour-long delay but um yeah it it wasn't a fantastic race but I think uh Red Bull can take some positives from it they did push Mercedes perhaps a little bit harder than they have at some other tracks we see this when tyres become a bit of an issue that sometimes Red Bull can can gain an advantage and uh if you know the strategy has played out slightly different or Mercedes have been napping a little bit then maybe it could have been a different result but Ultimately, Lewis had that pace in hand and whenever it looked like Verstappen was getting close, he was just able to, to, to pull out a bit more of a, a, bit more of a lead. Um, and then, yeah, as you said, Sergio Perez, you know, I really feel for the guy, um, you know, because he's, he's not got a drive yet at the moment for next year. Uh, and it's looking increasingly less likely that he will. And that was his chance to get a second podium, really put his name up there as, um, yeah, as, as you know, one of the guys that has to be considered for next year and he was ahead of Albon of course who is the guy that he's hoping to replace but probably won't end up replacing um but then on the other hand uh it was still a great race by Perez so you know he still did all the right things it's not like he messed up uh so if if it was a consideration then I think he's still still got his hat in the ring there um if if Red Bull decide not to go with Albon but um equally a, a confidence boosting one for Albon to get on the podium uh, I'm just looking at the Constructors' Championship now after that race because, of course, it was a great race for McLaren. Uh, scored some solid, solid points. And that moves them uh, quite comfortably clear of racing point in the Constructors' standings. And we know that battle for third place, we've kind of been going on about it all year, really. Mm-hmm. But it's starting to heat up and it's worth tens of millions of dollars in prize money. So um, you've got McLaren now on 171 points. Racing point on 154, having scored zero points from today after the Stroll and Perez instance. And then uh, Renault on 144 and Ferrari on 131 after a pretty pretty disappointing race for Ferrari all round. Well, obviously, I know that Nate's head was um, buried writing some news after the Grosjean incident, but I'm trying to remember who... Did, did any of you have a Alex Albon prediction? Because I feel like we were gearing up for one and 
And we eventually, I guess, got there. But another podium for um, Alex, Nate. How are you feeling about that one? Yeah, my my brain is completely gone of what the bold prediction was this week. I'm sure it was. I'm just so. going to say it was Albon on the podium. <laughs> I'm just going to claim it was. Um, no, I mean on Albon, we yeah we have spoken about him, and um, as gutting as it was for Perez, it is nice to see Albon get on there. I mean, we've said over and over again, just such a nice guy, but also a, a talented racer and in a really difficult situation alongside Max. And it's quite impressive his weekend. You know. If, it, Again, he wasn't as quick as Max, and I think he still has big improvements to make, but he had a big crash on Friday, and when I saw that, I thought, that's it. You know, In terms of confidence, the guy's already on, on the limit. It must have completely crushed him, and you know, the team rebuilt his car, he had a new chassis, and he's obviously he's he put himself fourth on the grid, and then he's done what he had to do to be in that position to capitalise on Perez having issues late on. So, um, yeah, yeah. Um, I don't know whether whether you can look at a drive like that and say it's enough to save his his season, but I think Red Bull will will look at that and say, well, look, that was a good weekend, impressive weekend, and um, I wouldn't be surprised if they use that as the basis to retain him for another season. And while it's a shame for Perez, I think Albon does deserve that second chance. Um, so you know, maybe that's the silver lining of Perez having that issue, but still baffling to me that Perez doesn't have a, won't have a seat next year, and we're going to be talking about people like Nikita Mazepan at Haas and. Nicholas Latifi at Williams is just completely bonkers, completely stupid. But there you go. That's Formula One for you. Yeah, it's, it's a strange one because although Albon finished third, I still don't think it was that good a weekend. He was still 0.6 of a second off Verstappen in qualifying. And then in the race, obviously, he was behind Perez. He admitted he couldn't find a way past. And Verstappen was 20-odd seconds down the road. So it's still not really good enough. I don't think anything's changed as a result of this result, but it does seem to be that if, you know, if Red Bull want to point to something as the reason why, I mean, they don't really have to, they make their decision no matter what, but if they want to point to something as a reason why, they can say, well, you know, at least he got that podium in Bahrain and whatever, but I feel like he still has to up his game because it's, um, yeah, it's consistently not not there. And, you know, the, the hope is that you go into next year and you've got a car and a lot of the kind of things that he doesn't like about it are dialed out of it over winter of development and then maybe he'll come back and we'll be able to see more of what we saw before and I think that's what Red Bull's kind of hoping for as well but then if that is the case I just don't know why they're leaving him in limbo as well it seems a bit cruel to some extent and and for Perez because Perez now is in a position where as he said on Thursday if he's not driving for Red Bull next year then he's taking a year away from all sorts, all kinds of motorsports. So he will not race next year and he'll basically spend some time with his family and then make a decision from there whether that's something that he wants to do uh, for the rest of his life or whether there's you know a chance to go back into F1 or another type of motorsport. So it's a weird situation because it's, it's leaving them both in this position where I feel like you know they're better off both knowing what, what the decision is. So yeah, if, if Red Bull are going for Albon, I don't know why they're putting him through all this because um, it can't, can't be helping either at a time when you know, visibly, he's not on the on the pace and had that accident in fr- on Friday as well, which, yeah, was um, impressive that he bounced back from. But that's also kind of what you expect of top line Formula One drivers that they do bounce back from accidents like that in practice. Sergio Perez being forced to take a year away from motorsports when he's churning out some brilliant performances that only a bad day for Lady Luck herself would force him to do this like what we saw today it just breaks my heart it's absolutely baffling as Nate said that you know you think that this man is still searching for a seat come um next season but um 
I think, of course, just looking at all the reaction as well, a lot of people um, definitely feeling it for Racing Point. As we said, very unlucky for Sergio Perez. I mean, there was a yet another scary point where I think one of the marshals ran across this track and Lando Norris uh, that's, was right there and was probably wondering what on earth more could happen on this day. But they had to try and put out yet another fire on Sergio Perez's car. But before that, we saw Lance Stroll as well in a bit of an um, incident to what what happened there, guys? And what was, the, I suppose, the latest the reaction from Racing Point after that? With Stroll? Or, Stroll. Um, yeah, so Stroll is, just seemed like it was um, a, uh, a bit of a racing incident, really. I mean, Kvyat got a pretty big penalty, so uh, he got a 10-second penalty. So, um, yeah, maybe racing incident isn't the right word, but it was a collision. And, you know, when cars hit wheel-to-wheel, uh, the forces involved also means that the car rolls over. So, um, yeah, yeah. Uh, in the grand scheme of things, it, was actually, it wasn't actually an awful, awful accident. It looks quite traumatic because the car's upside down and Stroll has to get out from underneath it. But, um, you know, the, the cars are kind of designed with those kind of accidents in mind. And, you know, he stopped before he hit a barrier and all that kind of stuff. So it's, it, it, was, it was an awful one. But obviously for Stroll, who hadn't been having the best weekend anyway, um, yeah, that, that, that was a, another step backwards. And then um, Perez, I, I didn't actually see whether it was confirmed what the problem was. I heard early on that it might be MG UK failure, but it looked a bit more fiery than that. So uh, I'm, I'm not entirely sure. Uh, and uh, yeah, and the marshal running to that, that also really shouldn't happen. And that's, you know, a marshal training thing, which uh, should be in place that you don't run across a live racetrack, even if you are physically the closest uh, fire marshal, that, you know, that shouldn't happen. And uh, I think you heard it in Norris's radio message, if you heard it during the race. Uh, he he was pretty uh, surprised and I think a bit upset about seeing that too because uh, that obviously can be a pretty horrible situation. So, um, yeah, it, it almost like one of those races you just want to forget about, you know, and, and move on to the next one. Funny enough, we're not moving very far. We're going straight back to Bahrain uh, or staying in Bahrain for those there um, for next week's race. But, yeah, it's um, it was it was a very odd race with a lot of uh, unusual instance, but fortunately we've still got uh, 20 F1 drivers at the end of it, so that's that's the most important thing. And that's worth mentioning. Just going back to Gro- Grosjean, is there's no we're not sure yet whether he'll race next week. That was something Gunther Steiner said. Um, I think they're going to wait a day, see what he says, because obviously you know the race is so, it's so it's so soon that um, I suppose he needs you know needs, might need time to recover. Mm-hmm. Grosjean obviously is leaving F1 at the end of the year, so that might have been his last moment in Formula One um, if if he doesn't race again the question would be who would step in instead of him um so yeah it would be interesting it would be it'd be strange for him maybe going back to because the oval circuit still uses that part of the track so it'd be fascinating to talk to him if he does race about what it's like going back there because you know i imagine again as we were saying earlier like that must there must be like all sorts of kind of <laughs> crazy flashbacks that you'd get just coming through there like most of us would get that and maybe these guys are wired differently to us but yeah, well, I think it's almost like what you, you said as well, that sometimes just going back out there and getting it um, over with again is almost therapy in and of itself so that your last memory of it is not, you know, exactly what transpired today. But I mean, if he said, I, I definitely wouldn't rush him back. I don't think his family would um, mind if this was his last Formula One race um, before he decides to hang up his helmet come next season because that definitely must have been scary for them. So definitely thoughts with them um as well on that one and even though it's been like a bit of a a scary day as well and and put a lot of things into perspective i know that um two people might be quite happy with the outcome though and that's uh carlos Sainz and lando norris pretty pretty decent day for the mclarens 
Yeah, it was. Um, they, uh, you know, they both kind of got it right among all the chaos and uh, and move forward. But just to go back to that, uh, who could replace Roman Grosjean uh, kind of train of thought. Um, well, Grosjean's got these burns on his hands, which I think is going to be the, the thing to see whether he recovers from that and, and, and whether he can, um, uh, you know, he's happy to get back in it mentally as well. But uh, he can't have... even send a text yet. <laughs> no, well, no, exactly. But I, I'm hoping those images are maybe slightly worse than the reality and mm-hmm. that I think when you have burns, you know, you have to get this kind of gel on it and then you have to, you know, wrap them up and protect it to kind of try and heal the skin as much as possible. But yeah, it's uh, second degree burns <coughs> is what I had, but I'm not, I'm not a doctor or kind of medically kind of trained, so I don't know exactly what that would mean for putting racing gloves back on in about five days' time. But um yeah, the two drivers Haas have as their test and development drivers are Pietro Fittipaldi and Louis Delatraz. Um, I'm not entirely sure if either of them have the super license points in place. I think they might do uh, to step in. But then, of course, you'd probably, you'd probably go for someone like Nico Hülkenberg, wouldn't you? I mean, you know, it seems like the uh, substitute driver of choice this year. And um, yeah, just because he um, drove for a racing point earlier this year doesn't mean he can't drive for a Haas later in it. So... Um, yeah, that, that'll be a really interesting one to follow. But it was, Steiner again was asked about this and it seems quite insensitive because obviously Grosjean's in hospital and uh, in, by the nature of F1 media and the nature of, I think, media in general is that immediately you ask the question of, well, what happens if? But um, Steiner was very clear. He said, he, you know, he's got to go to hospital, see Grosjean tomorrow, talk to the doctors, look at Grosjean in the eye and make a decision after that. Um, uh, because, of course, there's then another race in Abu Dhabi after that, uh, which... Um, which will be, uh, which is meant to be Grosjean's last, you know, if he does get back in, uh, either that or this one was his last one. Nico Hülkenberg surely must be sleeping with his phone ringtone on loud every single night now, the way this season has gone. And I would not be surprised if he's the one that they call for. Nate would love to see the return of the Hulk, wouldn't you? Yeah, I think it'd be great. And and we'd get the hulkenberg Magnussen uh, partnership, which none of us ever thought would happen. <laughs> um, but yeah, Lawrence is right. It is kind of strange to talk about it when Grosjean's mm. in the hospital. But um, you know, I suppose these things have to be decided. So we'll find out sooner rather than later. We are actually expecting this to be quite a big week for Haas in terms of announcing next year's driver lineups. But I don't know whether that will change given everything that's happened. I don't know whether they'll push it back. I've actually asked that question um, to the team, and um, yeah, I, it might not be the the ideal backdrop to make that kind of announcement that one of the guys you're here's the guy, here's the, the two guys replacing this guy that had this awful crash on, on Sunday. So we'll see what happens. But um, that's what we were expecting before the race anyway. Yeah, and it's um, it's two F2 drivers who we are pretty certain will get those drives in Nikita Mazpan and Mick Schumacher, as we've said a number of times on this on this podcast. And both of them are actually due to be in action in the Formula 2 championship. Uh, they, Mick Schumacher has a very good chance of winning that championship next weekend in Bahrain. And uh, Mazepin has a very outside chance, uh, but I think mathematically is still potentially in the running. So, um, yeah, it'll be interesting what they do around around those guys because uh, they've got a pretty big weekend anyway coming up. Right, guys. So, final thoughts before we sign off for the month. Given that tomorrow is the last day of November, final thoughts because um, we'll be back next month, the final month of 2020. We made it, guys. <laughs> Only just, but yeah, before we wrap. I'm curious to see what the Oval's like. Um, you know, everyone's been doing it down, including me. 
Um, I'm still skeptical because I don't think an engine dependent variation of what is already quite an engine dependent circuit is going to be great for racing because Mercedes is so far ahead. But um, it's a shame if we're going back to this circuit, Red Bull might be closer on the configuration that we ran today, but we're actually changing it up, so that might favour Mercedes. So, um, but I'm curious to see what um, what what that is like, um, and it might change the thinking going forward about how we do some of these double headers. Maybe Bahrain can keep hosting two races a year, you know, as we move towards 25 and 30 races and whatever. This is a good way to pad out that calendar if <laughs> if you are Formula One. I think one of the most interesting things about the uh, shortened circuit, the outer layer, uh, outer layout, or whatever you want to call it, um, is that it's actually incredibly short for a racetrack. So you're going to have a lot of cars occupying the same bit of tarmac. And um, in qualifying, that's going to make for some interesting moments. I think we already saw how much some cars were slowing down at the end of their outlap to prepare for a flying lap and get the gap. It's going to be even more congested this time round, and then in the race of course you know it's the same basic mass supply you have uh, the same amount of cars but less track to spread them out so there's uh, even more chance of uh, of incidents and mistakes and all of that kind of stuff happening uh, i'm actually quite looking forward to it because i think a lot of the overtaking places in bahrain uh, kind of stay in place you've got turns one two three up to four um so four will be a slightly different profile corner so it'll be interesting to see whether that kind of ruins that overtaking place a bit or um or maybe makes it better but uh yeah i, I think it's going to be um be a it'd be, be something different which um which is good at this stage of the year when we've got everything wrapped up it's always nice to kind of mix things up a bit so um yeah i think that's something to look forward to um and then yeah the only other thing to say is um best wishes to roman grosjean and his recovery but uh, it looks like it's on the right track Definitely. On a day that started super scary, it was absolutely brilliant to see Roman Grosjean himself talking and at least posting to social media and seemingly in good spirits. We do wish him all the best for his recovery and hope it is a lot sooner than later indeed and he can return to doing what he loves the most for what should be the final couple of times that he'll be able to do it, I suppose. Thanks as always to Nate and Lawrence. Thanks to all of our listeners for tuning in. We'll be back in the week as we look ahead to another race weekend, so be sure to join us then. <laughs>